We've been doing a series, a series that we've been in, it's called What's Under the Tree. So we've been having a lot of fun with what's under the tree. Each week we've actually kind of connected um, a gift to what's under the tree. So let me give you some things that we've been doing. So in week one, we actually talked about this idea of we're lit up, that God has placed the stars in the heavens. And one of the things that we learned about God and the gift that he's given to us is he's unchangeable. You know, when everything else in your world has changed, when everything else is collapsing, you can count on him because you can anchor into him because he's unchanging. So we talked about giving the unreturnable gift that week, which is really the gift of Christ. Uh, Week two, uh, Pastor Bud brought a message called the wise guy or wise guy. And we talked about the wisdom that God has placed for us under the tree. Pastor Bud challenged the entire congregation to read the book of Proverbs uh, for 31 days. And so a lot of you have taken that challenge. It's been fun hearing from you saying, I've been reading the book of Proverbs. This is pretty cool. Man, God's really sharing stuff with me as I read through that. So we also talked that week about um, just other things that you can do to go deeper. And week three, we took about all shook up all shook up. We gave away a blender that, that week. That was kind of cool. And, and the whole idea there was that God has shifted and shaken down for us some really cool things in our lives. And, and when he wants us to give those things away to other people, that the focus is not on us, but on others. And that week we talked about how we could actually get ready to bless schools all around us with food that will help kids during the Christmas break that may not have enough food. So we, we talked about that and did that. And we also talked about Holiday Hope, which was about invitation. Well, this week we're talking about non-perishable. So if you have notes, pull them out. You're gonna have a blast. And as you're pulling out those notes, do me a favor, look inside the middle of the notes. One of you will have a star over top of the message title. So if one of you will have a star over top of the message title, who's got it? Did you get it? Okay, come on up here. So so Cammy got it. How... We, by the way, we don't plan this out, okay? We actually at random put them on the bulletins each week and put them in the back. So, so Cammy, what's under the tree this week? Pat, you can tell Pastor Bud did a great job wrapping this. So can you, there's no holes. Open it for us because we need to know because we're going to connect this somehow to the idea of a, a non-perishable, as you'll see in a second. What's that, Bud? He did the best. Yeah, it's like a Marine. He adapted, he overcame, right? So it's better, you know, at least it doesn't involve deer that he killed. I think that's a bone. You don't know that yet. That's true. He could have some skin wrapped in there. He did cut some strange thing off that deer that we found. It was, I just want you to know what's in there. Oh, there's another box. Okay. Keep keep going. Just to remind you all of Christmas yet. How many of you have done this to someone, right? I wonder how many there are. What's in there? We may not ever know. I know. Talk about non-perishable. It? <laughs> it's another oh. present. Okay, so keep, keep going. Keep going. Okay. What, what's it? I know. It's like the, the candles that will never go out, right? It matches your outfit. Are you impressed? I know. And I'm colorblind. Can you believe that? Okay. So what is it? Boxes, Are you sure? Okay. There's not anything in the bottom of it? No. Did he leave the price on it? Okay, he didn't. Okay, you're okay. Go ahead. What's in? There's something in there. What is it? It's a gift card. All right, very cool. Now, what does a gift card have anything to do with what we're going to talk about today? Well, let me show you. So thanks, Cammy. Congratulations. So we're going to look at a passage on this idea of non-perishables, as things that don't change that have been promised to us in the greatest non-perishable, which is Jesus. Okay, so we're going to look at this. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Isaiah 9-6. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen behind me. But look at this amazing passage. It says, for, uh, for to us, a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let me show you how that gift ties into this. So for a lot of us, we say every year, right, Merry Christmas. Have you ever stopped to ask the question, where do we get the word Christmas from? I mean, we say it every year, but we've never stopped to think about it. Where do we get the actual word from? The actual word is actually derived and broken down by two different words. Pretty simple, right? You break them down, Christ and mass. Okay, make sure you get the M in the right place, right, Paul? So Christ and then mass. So for Catholics and for the early church, they, the entire worship service centered around something called the mass. Now, what that actually means in the original language was death. What they would do is they would celebrate in every service intentionally the death of Jesus Christ because they knew that that's what atoned for and had paid for their sins. And so Christmas, Christmas, is the idea that everything in our faith centers around what Christ has accomplished for us, what he has purchased for us. But what's so cool about this is inside of what he's purchased is boxes inside of boxes inside of boxes. There's these gifts inside of our relationship with him. That's how that gift connects. So let me share some of those with you. Let me share how this actually comes together and how these pieces are doing. The first one you need to understand that's a gift inside of the gift is this idea of new birth, of new birth. So for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. If you've ever had a new birth in your family, which many of you have, you know what that's like, right? The first child born in a certain family and the excitement of what that means, not only for the immediate family, but for everybody around them. I'll never forget when Brittany was born, uh, the chaos of that, the craziness of that, the weirdness of it, and then bringing her home. And it's like everybody invades your house. Okay. Depending on if you're an extrovert or an introvert, you like this or hate this, right? And they just try to invade. They come on in. Because they want to see this, this new child. And so this is this idea when they're talking about, you know, to us, a child is born. For the people of Israel, they've been waiting and waiting. This was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. So they're waiting a long time for this promised child. And they're excited. They can't wait for him to arrive. And I think one of the things that we forget about our faith, that's the package inside the package of Jesus is he is reborn and rebirthed into each one of us every day when we actually rise and give him our faith. And we put all of our hope in him. A new birth takes place. You ever met a new Christian? They're excited. They're irritating, right? You know, they're both of those things at the same time, but they're excited about their faith. This new birth is happening. The problem is, is that new birth is supposed to continue to happen all throughout the Christian's life. They continue to be excited about the new things that God is showing them, the new things that God's revealing to them. One of the couples that uh, leads a lot here, I was about to have a baby. You've probably noticed if you've been coming here to Grace a little while, there's this one, one gal on the stage that's, you know, got, she, she's not obese. That's actually a kid. Okay, it's right here. And, uh, and she's, she's going to be due soon. You know, every week, I don't think she'd mind me sharing this because I asked, but she asked for one prayer every week that that baby would be healthy. I mean, anybody, in the, why? Because a baby born into a family, the firstborn baby, you just want him to be healthy and you want him to actually just be a, a joy inside of the family. And that's what's happening inside this passage. The second piece is that you get this gift inside the gift is sound counsel. Sound counsel. And he will be called wonderful Counselor, 
Wonderful counselor. Now, one of the things I want to show you that's so cool in this passage that you don't get until you really sit on it and really think about it is you'll notice that they could have used one word to describe these gifts inside of Jesus, right? They could just say he's a great counsel or he's counsel. But in each one of those, it's a compounded word. He's not just counselor. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. And in the original language, the words are compounded. They're kind of put together with a hyphen. And the reason this becomes so important is the words stand on their own, but they also mean something together. There's a dual nature to this name. And what's really neat is if you understand, if you've studied anything about Christianity, one of the unique dynamics of the Christian faith is we believe that Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is just not a cool guy. Jesus is just not a teacher. That God himself descends from heaven and, and, and comes here to live with us to reveal God's heart and God's nature. That's why he's called Emmanuel. We'll get to that in a second. But when you look at that and then you look at these words, you begin to see something that's really pretty magical. It's pretty amazing. What you begin to see is that in each of the words, there's a divine component and there's a human component. Just like your Savior. Planned 700 years before his birth, Isaiah, not even knowing anything, just inspired by God's presence and God's spirit, gives us this amazing picture of the coming Savior. Wonderful. Only God can be described as the greatest wonder, right? When you stand before God under an open heaven or you have this encounter with God, you leave with this wonderment. He is amazing. I cannot believe I've just encountered his presence and I'm overwhelmed many times by actually being in his presence. Counselor is just the idea of who do we go to for wisdom? Who do we go to for sound counsel? And for a lot of us, the first place we start is parents, right? Well, we do for a while. As you get older, you actually go back to your parents, right? There's this phase between, I don't know, around 16, 17, where parents become stupid. You all know that one. And they stay that way until about 25. And then all of a sudden you wake up and they're like, maybe my parents weren't as dumb as I thought, right? And then once you have kids, you're like, oh my gosh, my parents were geniuses, right? There's this progression, But we go to our parents for wisdom. It's natural. We go to educators, don't we, for wisdom. We go to actual counselors, right? Psychological counselors and different people to give us counsel. But what's funny in our world is we usually don't start with God. We start with other people. What do you think about this situation? What do you think about what's going on? And what's inside this package is the idea that we should start with God. We should start with him. In fact, what's happened in our culture is we've drifted to this idea of we're very individual-centered, right? It's all about my rights and what I want and when I want and how I want. And then we're also become very humanistic, meaning I want the wisdom of other humans around me as prior to, as actually juxtaposed to actually going to God first for wisdom. So you want to know where most of the mess that we have today is? is we don't understand the sound counsel. We don't understand that he's the wonderful counselor. Why are we in messes with our marriages? Because we go to the wrong people to find out what the definition of marriage is. That's exactly what's going on. And when that happens, it messes with us. Look at this passage. I didn't include it in your notes. You can write it to the side. It's James 1.25. It says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do you want your life to be blessed? Do you want the greatest that God can give? What starts with you beginning with going to the wonderful counselor, asking him, what do you think? How should I parent? How should I work for my employer? How should I be united in marriage? 
You start asking God these questions and you start searching his word. And then it's okay to ask other people that have been on the journey with you. But don't ask them what they think. Ask them where they got it from. What scripture did you go to? What part of the Bible? How did you wrestle with that? When you start doing that, now you'll find the wonder of their journey. And then that'll impact the wonder of your journey. And you will see that his, device, his advice is divine, not just human. And when you stick to his advice, it saves you every time. One of the reasons I've been married 25 years, because I can tell you there were moments, if you've been married any amount of time, you will know what I'm talking about. There are moments that you're like, I don't know how we're going to go another step. You've been there in a marriage? Okay, that's called marriage, right? And you've been there, you're like, this stuff is, it's, it's really getting weird. I, you know, there's moments you're just like, I, you know, why, God? Why? Okay. Why did you make women that way? And I know my wife's going, why did you make guys that way? I mean, just, you're looking at each other like, I don't know how this is going to work. And inevitably, I come back to his word, and I read it. And I'm pierced by it, his wisdom. Ephesians 5 still confounds me as a Christian every day that husbands have to die to self to present their wives as perfect before God. That, that really things start with the husband's leadership in the home. We don't like that in this culture, do we? We really don't. But everywhere I see it happen, I see marriages flourish. I see them grounded. When I see guys shirk their responsibility... And make life about themselves and not their family and their wife and serving her needs, the family gets jacked up. This is what I'm talking about. And when you get a hold of that, that's wonderful counsel because God begins to work through you. Because you're like, I can't do that, God. I cannot do that. But I know you can do it through me. If I'm just surrendered enough, if I'm grounded enough, if I'm in your word enough, if I'm just surrendered to you enough. You will do this through me. That's this idea of wonderful counselor. The, the other piece inside the package, the package in the package, is the idea of authority. What a great gift he gives to us, this gift of authority. So inside the package of Jesus under the tree is this gift of authority. And he will be called mighty God. Woo, now that's some authority. I don't think anyone's ever put that moniker on you, right? You may have done it, you know, but no one's ever put it on you. And this one on Jesus says, he's going to be the mighty God. See, the mighty part, we've, we've seen people that are mighty, and you see mighty in Jesus' ministry and his life. I mean, he does some things that are so mighty. You know, he raises a guy from the dead. You know? He gives someone sight that is never, was born blind. He does things that no one has ever done. But right next to the name is not only this human piece, not mighty, but his divinity. He is God. That means no matter what your situation, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what's going on, you always think that God's not big enough to deal with it, and he's big enough to deal with it. He's God. He hung the stars in place. He gave them a name. You don't think he can deal with whatever you got to fill in the blank with? He can deal with it. That's authority. The authority's not yours. It's his authority poured into you. That's why I love that passage out of Matthew 123. Again, not in your notes, but you can write off the side. Matthew 123, look at this. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, that's, that's the biggest difference between our faith as Christians and other faiths. Almost every other faith recognizes Jesus in some way. He was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. The guy was a great scholar. He was a philosopher. He was a rabbi. But Christianity comes back to this rub, and it's a rub for people. He's not just all those things. He's Lord of your life and of everything. Now, that's different. And when you begin to see that, there's authority that comes flooding and pouring into your life that you can deal with whatever the challenge is because you don't have to deal with it. 
God will empower you to deal with it. That's, that's a beautiful package that's inside the package. Another package inside the package is this continuity. Continuity. And he'll be called, I love this, everlasting father. Sometimes scholars make stuff too hard. You ever read a commentary and you're like, dude, you're just overthinking it. You met people like that. You're just overthinking it, right? When you read commentators on this particular title, they cannot figure it out. I mean, you're sitting there going, how hard is it, right? Everlasting father. I know what a daddy is and I know what it means to last a long time, right? You're like, I can get this, right? But scholars look at this and they get confused because they're like, but he's the son. But the titles here are meant to describe an attribute so what's the attribute? What's the, what are the two attributes that you can see his divinity and you can see his humanity? Well, we all know what it's like to have a father in the faith, right? We have many fathers around us. You've got a biological father, and some of you are like, that, that's one of the most significant people that's poured into me. But sometimes you have a father in music, right? You're a musician. You've got somebody that invested in you initially, and you're like, man, that's, that's my daddy in, in guitar. That's my daddy, whatever. I've got a father in the faith, which means that person first started pouring into me and helping me. You can use mother there if you want to. Got a lot of ladies here. But, but the reality is, is father has this connotation of someone that's investing something inside of you. Jesus is investing in you, and he began the investment. This is not difficult. Before time began. So the father part is definitely the humanistic dynamic that we can see in this title, but the everlasting part shows you his divinity, which means before he was born on Christmas, he's in heaven. He knows you by name. He knows the day you will be born. He knows the struggles that you will have. He knows all these things about you. He knows what a jerk you are in certain situations, and he still loves you. I mean, that's just, he's the everlasting father. He's the originator of authority with time. He precedes us, he travels with us, and he goes before us. There's four realities of God's grace or his unmerited favor, and you see this inside this idea of everlasting father. Let me give them to you. They're so beautiful. One's called prevenient grace or prevening grace. You ever heard that? That means when you were stupid, before you came to know God, God was still working with you. You ever heard that? Like when you were doing something that should have killed you, somehow he kept it from killing you. Okay? That's called prevenient grace, that God is actually working with you before you even come to faith. Then there's what's called justifying grace. And that's this idea of there comes this moment in time where you're like, God, I actually figured out now I'm stupid. Uh, okay? And I'm willing to admit it. And that I can't run my life the way I thought my life should be run. And so I'm willing to recognize that I can't justify myself, but you can do it for me. You see the surrender? And so I give all of my life to you based on what you've done and paying for my sins on the cross. And then this process of sanctifying grace, which is connected to it, starts, which is just the idea of you're going to start to become more and more like Jesus. That's a warning, by the way. You met a guy or a gal that's been a Christian for like 30 years and they're sour. There's something jacked up with their sanctification, okay? I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, they got tripped up. Because you're supposed to look more like Christ the longer you're a Christian. Not less, but somehow this gets messed up. And then there's this glorifying grace. There's this moment where you show up in heaven for our saints, especially the ones that have recently graduated. When you stand face-to-face with Christ, you are transformed fully, fully into his image. Beautiful. Glorified. Those are these three dynamics of grace. Who's the king over them all? Who's the daddy? It's Jesus. He preceded, he went with you, and he's going ahead of you to prepare a place. All of this inside that one title And then another package in the package, a beautiful package is peace, peace. And he will be called Prince of Peace. Oh, man, you see some cool pieces to this, don't you? 
pun intended. It's cool pieces to the piece, okay? Look at this. He's the prince of peace. People think that they can create peace, right? You hear it all the time. If we'll just do this, if the government will just do this, if people can just get along, let me just give you a, a really quick heads up. Peace will not happen in your lifetime, my lifetime, or a time to come because we as human beings can't do it. God himself will bring peace at the appropriate moment when God returns to bring peace. And we keep going to other people looking for peace. We really do. You know, we, we like chicken noodle soup for the soul. It doesn't bring peace. It just glosses over the pain of life is what it does. It's not bad, but it's not going to bring real peace. And Jesus knew this. And in John 14, 27, knowing his, his peeps were really messed up and really hurting and grieving, Here's what he says to them in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you, give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He gives peace in a way that's so unique. And the reason it's unique is because he's the prince over it. He's the one that commands it. He's the one that can give it to us where the world just so fails the world gives with an expectation. You notice that? I'll give you this, but therefore then you owe me this. And sometimes it's stated and sometimes it's unstated, isn't it? You know? You know, I love, anybody watch the Big Bang Theory? Okay, okay, I know I'm a heathen. I love the Big Bang Theory because Sheldon is just hilarious, okay, if you've ever watched the show. And one of the funny things about this that actually pulls out this principle is if someone gives Sheldon a Christmas gift, okay, it freaks him out. Because he cannot be undone or overdone. So he has to then equivocate whatever the gift is. So if you gave him something worth 20 bucks, he has to go out and find something else worth 20 bucks to give you that so you're square. He cannot be in your debt. That's this idea. That's how the world gives. That's how the world thinks. I love my favorite episode is a Christmas episode with him where Penny gets him an autographed um, napkin by Leonard Nimoy. You know, Spock. And she hands it to him, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't outdo it. He's, like, going out and buying stuff from everywhere. He can go Bath and Body Works. You know, he's got, like, stuff just stacked up in the, the room. But that's how the world thinks. I'll give you this, but my expectation is this. And the problem with that is there's no peace in it. There's no peace in it. Christ doesn't give in that way. When he gives to us, there's no expectation. It's completely out of his heart, out of his passion and his love for you. He's passionately in love with you in every dynamic of your life, every relationship in your life. That's what a gift. My father-in-law at a specific moment in time explained this gift to me. And the irony was I went to church for a little while, but I never heard about the gift. I don't know about you. I heard about some cool religious stuff. We colored some goofy stuff. We had some fun games, but I never heard about what Christ had done. That he had, he had paid for everything that I would ever do, and I can't earn this gift that I have to receive it. And that he's done it all, I just have to trust him. That, that's the most beautiful message of Christianity that's, that's you know, and, and we just miss it. We miss the simplicity of Christmas. That in his death, he accomplished everything for you and I. In his resurrection, he proved that he was divine. That he was Lord and King and God over everything. So my challenge to you is so very simple this year. It's so very simple. In every area of your life this Christmas, give away the whole package. Give away the whole package. The whole package 
is not the little things that we just described in Christ. When you get Jesus, you get all the little packages inside. You get the whole enchilada. You know what I mean? And that's what he wants. And he doesn't want it just for you. He wants it for everyone in your family. He wants it for everyone in your work. He wants it for everyone in your community. He wants it for every single person that your life is connected to. One of the ways you can look at this, and we're going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to illustrate this for you in a different way, is I, I kind of look at life, because I guess because I'm a musician and love to play music. It's music, right? And the life that you're living is like playing a tune, isn't it? And when you begin to look at the tune, and you intentionally decide to make Jesus the center, centerpiece of the tune, everything else begins to come together. So this year, as we think about Christmas and we think about how God wants to challenge us and move us forward in our faith, I want you to think about how surrendered are you to him are you? In, in what areas do you currently struggle? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. Maybe it's your job. You know? Maybe it's because you're going through a recent loss and you're not sure how to process it. And my question is, have you fully given over the situation to Christ? Are you letting his tune play in you? Or are you still trying to play your tune, making him get in sync with it? Because when you gel with his tune, he begins to pull all the pieces together. So as you listen to this song, I just want you to consider, what area of your journey still needs to be his? His?